Hey, welcome to Cold Turkey Podcast. This week, I'm, I'm sitting down with Dustin. Um, Dustin has a um, roller coaster life. I mean, you know, like again, you know, like um, Dustin has gone through a lot of stuff. I was about to say a lot of shit, but you know, like I'm, I'm being careful here. Um, at the same time, um, there was, you know, like there was a lot of indication and hints in his early life that, you know, like he would be. Um, facing what eventually came to him. And, you know, like that's, that's probably one of the most fascinating aspect of the conversation I had with him. Um, so I'll, you know, like, I, I don't want to spoil any of, you know, like if, of, of a story, but, uh, yeah, hang on, you know, like it's going to be quite interesting. Um, last thing I'm going to say is, you know, like let the people know about the podcast, let the people share the podcast. Um, it, we're, we're, Tuesday evening. And, you know, like I saw, um, today that actually has, um, cross over the 15,000 listen of my, of the whole, um, cold, the, the whole cold Turkey podcast. And so I'm flattered and humbled and, you know, like thankful that, you know, like it's still going well and, you know, I like can still growing. So, um, share the podcast that the people know about the podcast and help them just, you know, like connect to it. You know, like, I, you know, like I receive a lot of message of people not being able to find, it's not, you know, like it's not necessarily something that's easy to find for people that don't know about podcasting and how it works. So let people know how to find it. And, uh, without further ado, here's Dustin. Enjoy. Hey Dustin, how you doing? Hey Alex, I'm doing really well. Um, the first question is, you know, like pretty much a question that I do ask. Uh, I've been asking for the past eight months. Um, where are you from, and where are you located, and um, how's the pandemic have been going for you? Um, you know, like every conditions, every situation is different. So mm -hmm. probably by the geography or where you are, uh, you're gonna tell me, you know, how it's been doing um, in your area. Um, so I'm from Arizona, um, which has, you know, has been in the news with the spikes over the summer and all that fun stuff. I'm actually up in Northern Arizona outside of Sedona, uh, which is a beautiful little town, but, um, we've had in my area personally, we've had relatively low impact. I mean, uh, Maricopa is a much bigger, uh, county and they, they have a bunch going on. Um, what we've done locally is, you know, we have mass mandates in public and in place and stuff like that, like everywhere. Um, but, uh, for us, to be honest, we've been relatively untouched. Uh, we've been able to, uh, continue to do in-person meetings and, you know, like we of course had to have heavy discussions about kind of stuff like that. And, um, you know, we talked with city managers and all of that to get, to get guidance and clarification, but, um, you know, we've, we've been maintaining, I mean, it's, it's been hard on everybody. Uh, we've spiked with use and abuse and all of that stuff here as well. Um, but we're, we're moving forward. I have, um, and you know, like I haven't have yet asked a question, but you know, like if you, if you do are, or have attended meetings mm -hmm. as this impacted meeting rooms. Oh yeah, definitely. So, I mean, there's a positive and a negative to it. So, um, I do, I do sit on the board of my club. Um, and we've, we had several nights where we debated in, in March and early summer and what, what's the right thing to do? Because that's, 
that's really what it comes down to. In the middle of a pandemic, people are scared. The anxieties are running high. Um, and, and over the discussions that we've had, we decided that it was worth the risk to continue to keep the doors open. Now, all of our older members, which we have also encouraged to you know, protect themselves, um, really started to drop off. And, you know, um, in a lot of these meeting rooms, you know, the, the old timer, they're, they're a staple. And once that started to, to drop off, we started to lose uh, a lot of our attendance. So we continued to run and operate at a loss for pretty much for the entire year outside of January. But, you know, we've we've continued to have meetings. Now, the positives are we have people coming from all over, people from Phoenix, from Flagstaff, hours and hours away from where we're located because they know we have in-person live meetings. And that connection is needed so much, you know, and for sure. to, to reach out and, and talk and, and have that that connection. Um, that, that's important. That's important for the recovery in the community, as I'm, I'm sure we're all aware. Absolutely. And, and you know, like I, I think it's. um it's been a long debate here, you know, like, and, and, you know, like they, they pretty much tended to side on, on, on the way of not opening the meetings. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, like, um, as, as fellowship members, you know, like we're, we're worried, you know, like worried of not yeah. seeing some of the, um, some of the faces we're, we're, we were used to see at, 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 at meetings, um, not being on zoom meetings and so you know like it makes you question you know like where they are and um how they're doing um some you know like you don't have the information or the contact information so you're like you know like i used to see that guy pretty much at that meeting all the time and you know like now that the meeting's been converted to virtual virtual you know like i don't see him um right. and and you're absolutely right you know, like the anxiety levels are tremendous you know like they're they're super high and and um and it's it's um i think you know like a, it's a bit underestimated in terms of uh public health you know like how, you know like the, oh, the mental health situation yeah. um that was one of our big factors too was was the mental health aspect of it we should be the last place that closes you know that was an argument that i presented because you know the courts are still sending us newcomers um as they are um on their court cards and stuff like that and a lot of people and not necessarily people come in on court cards but just newcomers in general that have absolutely ruined their life they can't afford technology they can't afford to get a phone that has the quality and find the people and and hop on zoom or know about some of these private groups on facebook so you know that that was another factor in our decision making it's like you know we we stay open for the newcomer and to see him come in and just that that look of relief that there's a meeting going on and they calm and it, and it absolutely changes the trajectory of their life right there i mean that's that's worth it you know that's that's worth i i suppose the risk i mean i i hate debating about the the virus and you know we're all trying to do our best but you know in in our community it's it's important it's that having meetings is very important and you know um, and for some people, you know like you know like that the the earliest estimate i've heard um because you know like there was some contact of a contact that works for uh like a worth uh world health organization mm -hmm. and um the lady was actually telling me telling us that um we're talking about you know like march april next year but you know mm -hmm. like the first phases which is far from being us you know like it it would be like right. the elders and uh some of the more fragile um targets um mm -hmm. so you know like that would mean 
more than a full year without a physical meeting uh, for right. for us, um, which is like I would I would estimate disastrous. Um, Absolutely, and I mean, I, and I I I applaud that you continued to to do this because you know that's hard. That's hard to do. Um, there there's such a thing as Zoom fatigue and not being able to connect through devices as i'm sure you're aware absolutely and and i've i was um i work in technology and, and in sales and and um even convention were tough you know like so you know like cramming um hours and hours over a week of um continuous new information was you know like you, you would get like almost not almost but physical fatigue from attending all these sessions and they've oh, conver they converted that to virtual through zoom and mm -hmm. i would i wouldn't last a fifth of that you know like i, I would be just burned out you know like like fuck right. that you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know absolutely. Like, um absolutely. and and just in terms of dynamic you know like especially in sales um you know, like the, 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 um, like the power dynamic, the, 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 the sixth sense of, you know, like someone's, um, how they feel, how they, you know, how they behave and, you know, like, like, like their physical, um, you know, like their physical communication, most of it is gone through yeah. zoom, even though you see their face. I mean, you know, like you right. can't see their posture, you can see, you know, and so, mm -hmm. um, virtual meetings are pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree. We have incorporated like, cause I do in-person meetings. Like that's just, it's what I do. And you know, there's a couple of meetings where we have a laptop set up on the stand. So whoever needs to join in can join in, you know, and um, a lot of my friends that have kind of scattered across the country and the globe, you know, they love zooming into some of the meetings. So, you know, that, that opportunity is still there, but you know, I just, I can't see anything really replacing an in-person meeting and, and just that, that overwhelming emotion. So, you know, I, my heart goes out to all of our community that really has to buckle down and hit those zoom meetings and, you know, do what they got to do to survive. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I, and, um, yeah, you know, the, the, we see more and more like isolated, you know, like you talked about private groups, um, happening in Facebook. Um, I see more and more like private meetings taking place and like where you reach out almost one by one, the people that you want to attend uh you, you to the meeting and you know like if they're not there you know like you question you you um and that makes it more personal um it doesn't change that that like the physical and doesn't doesn't come you know like close to what a physical meeting is but the fact that it becomes almost like an intimate thing um right changes the dynamic of it you know like and and it doesn't get lost in translation of having 15 uh 50 windows open of you know like people all over the place um you right. know like we're for 15 20 so you know like you can actually reach out to each of the, every one of these individuals and say hey how are you doing x and how are you doing y and um mm -hmm. and have like a again you know like a more intimate uh setting for um and it's a, it's an interaction um you know, like it, it's, it's nothing like, you know, like someone sharing and everyone listens, it's more of an interaction conversation and, you know, right. makes it quite different that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've run a, a meeting in my, in my backyard. It's just a campfire meeting. It's open to all of any 12 step program. It doesn't matter what you have. It's just, it's just designed to be an open format. And this was 
pre-corona and like during the height of everything i felt like i was running at some sort of underground meeting you know like the french resistance during world war ii or something <laughs> like that because it's like i don't know if people are going to turn me in or what's going on but you know i have all these cars parked in front of my house we're out back with a campfire we're having a meeting and just sharing in a very very general way you know to try and just keep the the hope alive because i I'm sure you have, I've lost a handful of friends to overdosing and this, this disease, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's going to take more of a toll in not only on just the recovery community, but on the, the population as a whole. This Absolutely. is trauma that's uh, kids, kids are going to, you know, have to work through and work out and, and it is going to change our society. And I don't think in the way that people understand, but you know, like for, for people in the recovery community that do have some time. Like we, we have to be there and thank God we have a program that, that centers around reducing fear and facing our fear and recovering, you know, like that we get to kind of champion and like, this is, this is our time. If there's ever a moment for someone in a 12 step program, it's in the middle of a pandemic. I've been doing all these steps and all this work and my sponsor has been harping on me. And you know what? I get to actually practice it on a daily basis. So here I go. You're absolutely right. You know, like recently, um, which was, you know, I coined our second wave, um, Mm -hmm. They shut down gyms um, and um, the, the gym owner actually lost their shit, you know, like saying, guys, you know, like you have no idea, you know, like the long-term hurtful negative, neg negative impact you're going to have on our population. You know, like people right. are coming in to vent off to, you know, like keep their sanity. Um, shutting down gyms is going to, it's going to be more damaging than keeping them open. And, mm -hmm. uh, I truly believe that it's the same for, you know, like kids right now, not being able to hang out with their friends. Um, yeah. you know, like someone, you know, like I, I was listening to a TV show and someone said, you know, like, what do you do between 18 and 22? You party, you're a party machine, yeah. you know, like, so, <laughs> right, right. It, you know, like <laughs> That's what you're known for at those ages, you gotta, you gotta sow those oats. Yeah. And so if, if you, if I shut this down for you and I, you know, shoot you back to your parents' basement. You're going to lose your mind. You know, like you're going to. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, we've, we've had incidences locally here with uh, not only fentanyl overdoses, but just a bunch of suicide just because of the anxiety, not being able to hang out with the friends or, you know, attend football games and things like that. We're still having those things go on, but it's just everything just gets limited and, you know, life gets restricted and, Humans, I think just by nature, we're social creatures. We have to be close to each other. We have we to have feed to. each other. And, you know, there's that interaction and that flow that comes with it. And, and it's, a, it's a primary need, you know, like, yep, you know, like uh, interacting and interacting with, you know, like even um, beyond your, your second half, you know, like I, I, I do am married and, you know, like I do have kids, but, um, but, you know, like it was like at the first um, the first confinement was like pretty much like everything was shut down and, you know, like they, they right. shut everything down. And, um, I remember, I think it was 45 or 50 days in that, you know, like I looked at my wife and we had like the routine shower in the evening and we yeah. were, we were the, all of three of, you know, like in the shower and, you know, like our kid is mm -hmm. quite young and I was like, we shouldn't be <laughs> right, over right. on top of each other like that. You know, like my wife is more <laughs> the social type. I'm more of, you know, like kind of like hanging out in my little, like my little cave and, you know, like doing my shit and, and, yeah. and, and she likes, um, the happy hours and, you know, like hanging out with her girlfriends and all, you know, like, and, yeah. and I was like, 
you should be with your friends and I should be listening to uh, and some crime docs and you know <laughs> right right it's, oh man, it, it, there's there's some aspects in there that you you brought up that I really relate to um because I'm I'm a I'm a former marine right so I went to Iraq and did all of this stuff and like when we we are in these little like pods right now and people are doing these things that are just kind of like very routine but not super interactive. So you're like almost confined and you're kind of trapped in your house and you, you just want to get out and you want to get, so then you get in these mental routines. Like you have, you know, like your evening shower, like you were talking about and, but you guys are just on top of each other all day long. Yep. You know, that has long-term exhausting effects, you know, mentally and, and physically. And, you know, if you can't get out there and, and exercise and do your thing, you know, you kind of get trapped in this routine that, that kind of eats you alive. I mean, that's been my observation anyway. It is, it is. And it, it, it's just, um, you know, like we pretty much had to, um, point the elephant in the room, you know, like just talk about it and say, you yeah. know, like that's, that's exhausting. You know, right. <laughs> you know, like no, some, some I mean, stand up here in Quebec said, you know, like I, I never realized until the confinement that um, I thought I had my kids full time, not mm -hmm. realizing that I was actually sharing 50-50 with daycare. Right. Right. <coughs> it's a lot. It I is. Mean, it, it is. It is a lot. And that's, you know, that's what I was kind of referenced my time serving. Like, you know, it was we were sleeping on top of each other. We were with each other every day. And it was just like, we got to get through this. We got to get through this. And that's just kind of what the entire world's going through right now. So, yeah, you know, there is going to be some long lasting effects. I, I, they've already started and we'll see more. Yeah, it's crazy times, just crazy mm -hmm. times. And, you know, like it, it's why I, I do ask the questions every every new episode I, I put out because situation's different. But I, I see like a median of, you know, like, um, the, the same, um, pretty much like the same alert, uh, being wrong by, 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 by my guests and myself, you know, like that, you know, like people need to realize that, you know, like the, the long lasting, um, effect of that is way more scary, um, than I would dare to say the pandemic itself. Right. You know, I mean, that's, that's the real thing that you have to weigh out at this point. I yep. mean, that's the reality of it. It's just what's and I don't think it looks good, but I'm not I don't want to make any calls, you know, because with this program, it's like I can't live in the future. I just have to do a day at a time. Absolutely. Day, Absolutely. You know? Oh, wow. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dustin. So as I do every single week, um, I'm going to ask you to pretty much rewind that tape of your life story and yeah. bring me back to either your first memory of you using or mm -hmm. um, you being witness of, you know, like you're, you're kind of, and, uh, you know, like you're probably going to draw me some of the family picture, but, you know, sure, um, yeah. maybe a, a someone's use that, you know, like has impacted you in your youth. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like uh, bring me back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we can go, I come from a, a long line of alcoholics. Um, and growing up, that was a huge influence on my life. Um, it was, everyone was in fear that I was going to be an alcoholic. You know, it's like, I think it's almost one of those things you're, you're so worried about it that you actually called it into being type of thing. And, uh, you know, my aunt, you know, God love her. She's got 
44, 45 years of sobriety. I want to say about 44 years of sobriety right now. And she's kind of the first one that ever came into a 12 step program and really blazed the trail for like my family. But, you know, before I get there, I have to get to the point of where I started drinking and using, cause I was raised around, you know, these AA sayings like, um, let go and let God. And, you know, as like an eight year old, I'm like, what does that mean? I don't get it. Or, so already you know, at eight, eight, already that me. young, already that young, you start, you, 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 you I started seeing things. Yes. From the program. So when I, my first drink was when I was 13, 12 or 13, I was, I was just getting into a, be a freshman at high school. One of my cousins took me to Lake Pleasant here in Arizona. And, uh, it was a snapshot for my drinking career. Cause, uh, I, I blacked out, I threw up, I almost got a DUI and I was only 13 years old. I also almost died because we were throwing fireworks out onto Lake Pleasant and like not the small fireworks or the fun ones or the bottle rockets, like the mortars, like the big ones that, that boom, that they use professionally. And those would come zipping back into the camp and, you know, it was just a mess. And for that time frame, when I was, when I was 12, 13 years old, it scared me. Like it scared me the effects that happened because I didn't remember things. I blacked out. I threw up. Like I said, um, I couldn't like operate my body and it just felt, it felt weird. Um, so what happened was, is I, I didn't start drinking until, um, the end of my senior year is when I really got going. So what, what's the uh, family picture like, you know, like are any siblings? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've, I, I, no one's in recovery except me right now. Yep. My nuclear family. Um, my brother, he's currently um, serving time in Cali. Uh, definitely some drug-related charges. So, you know, we could we could assume that he's probably a part of it. My aunt, um, she is 44 years sober. Her sister is 39 years sober. Um, my cousin, she's 10, 11 years sober. I'm six years sober. Um, I've got two cousins a generation below me um that are just getting started they just had their first year so um everyone in my family is either active or recovery there's no one that's really in the middle uh my mom she is um she's neither um so you know when it comes to to having it like we've we've got it pretty good for me uh, i have it on both sides of my family for my my dad's family and my mom's family um but the majority of my mom's family is in recovery so you know i have inspiration so when when i got to a point where I was ready to change, like I knew where to, where to go. And so, um, you said that in your senior year, um, uh, you mm -hmm. know, like it, it, it came kind of back with a vengeance. Um, definitely. Was there any trigger for it? You know, like, or, or was just like peer pressure oh, and you know, like, man, the there's there, where I'm at now in my life, I can look back and be like, Oh yeah. Yep. All those triggers. But then, you know, I thought I was just trying to be the cool guy, you know? My first real addiction was what other people thought of me. And so when I found alcohol, I found my outlet because I never really liked myself. I never thought I fit in. I went to a lot of different schools as a, as a kid. I think I did nine schools in 12 years, right? So I was always moving in between two states, Ohio and Arizona. So when it, it, I had finished my football season, my senior year, I said, I'm not doing winter sports. And I started drinking. You know, and, and I started drinking regularly because I had a friend that had a fake ID so we could get it whenever we wanted. And it was every weekend. I remember in January, we tried to drink every weekend, I, I think almost every week, just to see if we could do it, you know, at 17, 18 years old. And then we'd be doing case races on the way to the basketball game and like two hours away in Toledo and all of that. 
And I can tell you right now that my mentality when I drank was always, I'm going to out drink everyone so that they like me. I'm going to show them how to drink because that's me. Cause I want to be liked for me. You know, I never really liked who I was or who I was becoming. Um, I never, I never learned that self-love and I didn't really learn how to process emotions. And I was, I was really raised in fear. So for me to get, a, get rid of all of that alcohol, that was a great level. Was it, and sorry to good. ask you, Dustin, but was it, yeah. was it a violent environment that made you live in fear like that? Or, you know, like what, what was it? You know, like what do, do you well, now yeah, know? Yeah, what it, it, was, it, was, it was every form of abuse you can think of mentally, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, physical, um, coming at me all over in my life. I mean, it was the eighties. It was a mess, you know, that's what I grew up in. But, um, you know, it was, uh, some from my parents and then some from people in and out of my life. Uh, it really did. It, it had a profound effect in, you know, I was, I was raised in fear and almost like self-hatred. What's that? Almost like self-hatred, you know, like you you couldn't. No, just that that visceral fear where you can't do anything right and you can't do anything wrong. You know, like it's it's no matter what you do, it's you don't know if there's going to be some sort of reprisal. You don't know, you know, what you're going to get in trouble for. Um, There, it's a lot of I I do these family of origin workshops because they've really helped me. So it's it's taken me to look at both of my parents and find compassion and love for them. I got to say that before I I really say anything else. But you know, I I was. I was, you know, physically abused by my dad and that was his expression of, of, I don't know if it was his expression of love, but it's just how we kind of handled things. It was, it yeah. was the most comfortable way for him to do that. So as a kid, I never knew when it was coming. Right. So it's like walking on eggshells all the time. I don't know, you know, when I'm gonna get in trouble, when I'm gonna get spanked or, you know, what's going to happen. And then, you know, with my mom, it was, I was the oldest. So it was always pushing for perfection. Like I can't get a C because that that's wrong, you know? So if I get a C I'm grounded for a year and I'm not allowed to talk to my friends or have, you know, different interactions or, you know, play video games or anything like that. And God love them. They tried their best and they both love with all their heart. But when it came to raising kids, it was, there was a lot of tension and passion between the two of them, which could turn violent, um, which can turn angry there was, you know, being raised in drama and trauma all the time, I came, became very addicted to it. So when I was having relationships later on in life, I didn't think a a girl liked me if she wasn't treating me like shit or yelling at me, you know, because that was the model that I I received as a kid. Yeah. Um, And so growing up in that kind of fear, like you just don't know, you don't know what's coming. And and the only thing you do know is fear. And, um, you know, you can't seem to get on even ground or even footing because you're running from one thing to the next. Oh, you're grounded. Oh, you, you got, you got spanked because you did this or, you know, you got hit because of that. Um, you know, or you're not allowed to do this or not allowed to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's what kind of I grew up in. And, you know, to say that about my parents, I also have to say, if it wasn't for them too, I wouldn't be in recovery and and on my way either. But and 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 Dustin, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. no, no, no. I was just about to say, you know, like even for the listeners, you know, like I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm not here to you know like put a judgment on this. You know, like I'm I'm just sure, pretty sure. much you know like I'm I'm pretty much setting the table. You know, like you know like yeah. I, I, you know, like the, the reason why I do that podcast is to try my best to myself understand and you know like yeah. have others understand you know like the, the reason why you know like w- one thing that i you know like i've 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 come to realize um both in terms of my own sobriety and, and, and in terms of meeting with so many people is that um 
that conversation truly convinces me more and more that, you know, like this is a sickness, you know, like it it Mm -hmm. is not, you know, like there are traumas, Uh, you know, like, you know, like there are, there sure are traumas, but there sure are moments that, you know, like I've spoken to people that didn't have that much trauma and still had developed the sickness. Um, mm-hmm. of alcoholism or, 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 or addiction. Right. Um, and, and, and for me, the reason why I do ask kind of, you know, like the setting the table thing is mm-hmm. for people to not place a judgment around it, but to realize right. that, you know, like it comes from everywhere, you know, like you never yeah. fucking know. You right. know? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I appreciate it. And, you know, like my, I guess my only hesitation reservation is just in case they listen, you know, I don't want them to not think that I don't love them because I've, I have these deep relationships with them now that I absolutely yeah. value. So I think it's important for me to, you know, say that, but also, you know, be aware, like this is, this is where a lot of things have, have stemmed from, you know, it was, it was a formative, my formative years were, were very scary. And then, so when I got to a place where, you know, cause they divorced when I was 15 and, and after doing a couple of years of high school and being scared of alcohol, I just kind of leaned into it. You know, I was like, I, I had it. And then I had an amazing like party or a time with all of my friends where it's like, everyone liked me. Everyone cheered for me. It was the great leveler. Alcohol made everything a okay, you know, and I could get rid of my fear. I could get rid of my anxiety. I think or thought that everyone around me liked me and I could do silly things and it's all right, you know, because also I learned to justify my behavior from drinking. So it was easy for me to do things that I've always wanted to do or say things I've always wanted to say and be like, oh, that was just the alcohol. That wasn't me. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it becomes kind of your uh, center of attention mask, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. where this becomes, um, you now got a bragging right. You're the one that, you know, you're the one that do more. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, and that's what it was. It was always about more. So I wanted to to drink more and drink faster and put it on top of, and you know, I'd always quote unquote overcook my chicken, which was my favorite saying, because I'd, I just drink so much. And then I just, it would all just hit at once. And then I just turn into, you know, drunk Dustin, which I always use my middle name for that. It was, it was Francis. And when Francis came out, you know, it was like, Oh, anything could happen. You don't know. It's Frank the tank. You know, he's, he's drunk. He's going around the party, but you know, it, it was that it was that breath of fresh air where it's like it's okay because I don't have to worry about the world around me and responsibilities or if people like me or don't because you know what I'm drunk and 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 screw them if they don't like me but I'll find some other people you know and I'll keep drinking on top of it. I'm going to be asking a question um, <clears throat> around authority. You know, like the first form of external authority is pretty much like the school. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, like your first authority, you, you, you know, like you, 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 the, par- the parental authority you described as, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, like a toxic environment for, you know, like mm-hmm. w- whatever, you know, like whatever it was, you know, like it seemed to have as had um, like great impact on you. Um, how was your relation with that, that second form of authority, which was like the first foreign authority, which was school. How mm-hmm. did you interact with, you know, like, uh, like the, the school and how did your school, uh, path went? Well, it's, I mean, I, I think everyone kind of knows the answer <laughs> because, you know, I started, I started drinking and, and obviously, yeah, I'm going to have an attitude, but 
I got detention like every week, every other day. I was getting detention. I was definitely pulling away, especially academically. Uh, extremely disrespectful. Um, you know, I, I started being what I thought was the cool kid. Um, I joined DECA, which is basically just a, a business-based class where I work half a day and then I go to school half a day. So I wasn't really at school all that much. I definitely bucked authority. I think I got suspended a couple of times. Uh, I had to do some like Saturday schools, didn't really care about my grades because I'd already enlisted in the Marine Corps my junior year. And that was my path. I was going to do that. That's, you know, that was my focus. Um, so when it came to to school, especially my senior year, like I didn't I didn't care for it. I didn't do anything. And, you know, I was always in trouble. I was always pushing back. I was always, you know, being disrespectful. That's just kind of who and what I was, especially like, you know, around that time. And Man, we would go on school trips and we'd sneak alcohol, you know, put it in a, a mouthwash bottle, dye it green and boom, there you go. You're ready to rock. And, you know, we, we got drunk on field trips and, um, you know, just didn't care, just didn't care at all for anything. And um, what comes on next? I mean, like you, you, you said that, you know, like, so I guess you're, um, did you go to college? You know, like what, what was your... You know, like, yeah, so I, I joined the military, joined the Marine Corps. So that was that was my that was my path. And it was, uh, you know, I wanted to go to college, but I didn't have any money saved. And I, and I definitely wasn't ready to go to college. So I, I told myself I'm going to join the Marine Corps. And I joined up and I, I went to uh, boot camp June 2001, um, which was uh, four months before September 11th happened. So I, I signed up and was committed and going before all that went down. Um, I became a Marine actually on the crucible, which is the the final process of becoming a Marine. It's a three day event. Um, they sat us all down on day two and they're like, Hey, you know, uh, plane just ran into the Pentagon and we're like, yeah, right. Like that's the most absurd thing because remember we don't have, uh, any outside media. So we're sitting in the grass, they're telling us that. And then they're like, Oh, two planes just hit the trade towers. And my cousin who had went boot to boot camp the year before told me, Hey, they're going to try and make up some things about you know, the world to get you all gung ho and, and going. So we thought it was all made up, right? So we finished our training, get our Eagle Globe and Anchor, and then hit the airport on the way out. And it's like, holy cow, the world has changed. And so that had a, had a huge effect on what I was doing next. Um, I ended up living in California. Uh, I was stationed on Camp Pendleton uh, with 1st Combat Engineer Battalion. And, uh, you know, uh, Marine Corps birthdays tomorrow too. So Semper Fi to all those out there. Um, and so we hit it, uh, OIF one, uh, I did the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Um, you know, we hooked and jabbed and did our, our whole thing, uh, for that period of time. And then, you know, I was actually able to get drunk in Iraq as well, if you can believe that or not. Um, we had pulled back from Baghdad right after Baghdad fell and we were at, um, a supply point and, um, you know, there's in the, in Muslim countries, you have areas that are designated that are, are very strict and they don't have alcohol, but you know, you always have some sort of provider and, you know, we were driving back into the base and a guy flashed a whiskey bottle and uh, we paid him, you know, what we had for it. And it, it, I don't think it cost us much. And we grabbed some, some Coke and we went and got uh, drunk out in the middle of Iraq uh, sitting on a bunch of ammo, which was a good time. But then what really flipped the switch for me is when I came home um, and I noticed a, a severe difference in the way that I acted and reacted and how I uh, dealt with everything around me. You know, um, I wasn't comfortable in, in, in big places, but I wanted to go to the bar and drink. Um, how long were you deployed, I, Dustin? What's that? How long were you deployed? Uh, I think it was like around six months. Cause they, after that initial wave, they pulled all the Marines out and they left it up to the army. Um, so I, and 
I literally went from uh, Kuwait, Iraq to Detroit. Um, so not much change in scenery. No, I'm just kidding. It's totally different. But <laughs> I went. I I ended up back in Detroit, and uh, right after that deployment, yeah. So once they pulled us all out, that's that's when I kind of hit the streets again. Pretty much a shock, I guess. Totally, totally. They do things now. They have they have uh, a lot of things in place like decompression and. Um, you know, different things that you have to do back then that, that didn't really exist. I mean, we did, we just gotten done with Afghanistan, well, at least the first portion of Afghanistan. Then we went into Iraq. And so, yeah, it was just like, here you go, kid back on the streets, you know, um, you got like two weeks off and then report back into your unit. And, uh, you know, I got drunk, I got, I got drunk because there were things I didn't want to feel or deal with, you know, um, on in any capacity. Um, so it was, I got home and I just went to the bar and you know, that's when local police started to get to know me, so to speak. Um, you know, because I always be the guy walking home, just absolutely wasted. Can't stand up, you know, like just trying to be as drunk as possible, I suppose was, was the goal. Um, chasing, just chasing that, trying to be that, that normal guy that everyone likes, you know, the, the, the normal version of Dustin that I don't even know what is or what exists, but you know, like I'm trying to find that through alcohol. Would you assume Dustin that you were trying to drink off some form of, uh, post-traumatic stress or Mm -hmm. like most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, getting back to my unit after a couple of weeks, you know, I started drinking more and this was right before I was 21 too. So, you know, I was getting into drinking pretty good before I was 21. Um, I had a great military career. I I, I got out as a Sergeant. Um, I'm a Marine. I love it. Uh, I I never regret doing anything that I did and serving my country in the capacity that I did. Um, but you know, it definitely helped fuel that fire for me to, to really start drinking because then I went to college. I started at Ohio state And when I went there, I felt like I had missed out on things, you know, because the last four years I was in the military, I was going to war, I was doing these things. Um, you know, I was, I was, I, and I, and I see all my friends and their stories and I hear them and I'm like, I want that. So when I hit college, I hit the ground running, you know, I was just drink as much and hard as fast as you can and meet these people and and talk to these people. And I, I found that I had a chip on my shoulder, uh, from, you know, like, definitely some, some, what I've come to understand is PTSD, you know, anxiety fueled and, and panic attack things where it's like, I need to drink to be able to talk to and be okay with people because I had a short fuse and I became angry really quickly. Um, so the faster I could get drunk, the faster I could deal with you and then, you know, try and meet some women because, you know, I have this hole in my soul and I need to fill it with booze, drugs, women, or whatever it is, because I don't like who I am or who, who I'm, becoming, which is, you know, thematic throughout my life. And, um, I did Ohio state for a year and then I ended up at Arizona state, which I, at ASU, you know, it's the biggest party school in the, in the U S and it's like, um, I got my PhD in drinking there. Um, I was also bartending at Scottsdale in Scottsdale, which is a huge party town. Um, second, I would say to Vegas, but, uh, you have to experience both to really get that vibe. Um, but being a bartender, going to ASU, I was drunk. I, there was seven days a week. I could tell you what's going on, where, and chances are I was going there, you know, um, and trying to get myself through school and drink and have a job. It was a lot of work. I got my, uh, first DUI right after I got out of the the military, I wrecked 
my truck. I drove drove it into a gas station, took it, took the pole right up to the to the windshield. You know, I had to get my face sewn up. I I, I lost that truck. Ford Motor Credit sued me because um, my insurance didn't cover, and I wasn't going to pay because I was embittered and all of that. And so, you know, I spent like I think I've spent more time walking than I have driving because every time I I get a license back, I get a DUI. So there I am going to ASU, riding the bus two and a half hours to work, to go work, to ride the bus two and a half hours back to go home. But I never really ever rode it back. I'd just take, you know, the money that I work, got bartending and I'd uh, just spend it on a taxi cab home, you know. So uh, it, all, all the things that I was doing in life at that time were to fuel my drinking. Everything surrounded my partying because that's how I felt okay and that's when I felt safe, when I was drunk. You know, because I didn't like me and going back and having to make amends to people and tell them, you know, like the reason I drank like this, because I thought you didn't really like me. I didn't feel part of your crew and, you know, like all of that. And they'd be like, no, we always thought you were one of us, you know, but the, the disease and the way that it attacks the mentality is like, you know, I'm never good enough. I'm not going to be good enough. And it's, it's never going to be okay. So I need to drink more, you know, getting sober. I've come to understand it's not the drinking. That's the problem. It's me. You know, that's, that's where in lies the problem in between my ears and, you know, doing drinking and doing drugs and, and using people, because that's one of the biggest things I used everyone around me um, that fed my disease. That's what kept me going. And I, I could never understand why my, why I felt like I was crazy or I felt like, you know, I could never get ahead or why this person didn't like me or what was going on here and there and all of that stuff. It was all centered in my mind, you know, in, in drinking and drugs, because drugs are a part of my story. When I worked in Scottsdale's, when I started to get into doing cocaine, because then I could stay awake longer and I could drink more and I could be bigger and better and badder. Um, you know, I, I, I come to understand that all I was doing was trying to be anyone but me, you know, I didn't love myself at all. And after graduating ASU, I ended up moving up to uh, the Verde Valley where I live now, you know, and I, and I did my last couple of years drinking here and it got, it got really bad. It got really sad. It got really scary. Um, you know, I, I blamed a lot of things on everyone else and everything else around me. And, you know, my parents never did enough. And the girl that I was dating at the time, it was all her fault because she's doing her thing. And, you know, she doesn't love me. I'm playing the victim so I can control people around me and, you know, like play that emotional manipulation. So, that way I get what I want, but it's never what I really want. And it's never enough. So going back to the drinking and the drinking, and then finally I got to a point where I did a five day, six day bender or whatever. I don't know how I drank. I lost my job. They didn't even call me to tell me I was fired. They just stopped scheduling me. Um, I lost the house that I was living in. I had ruined a friendship from living in. I was basically, I'd put myself living in a garage in Arizona, which is very, very hot with a pile of clothes next to me on a mattress. And after a five day bender where it just was so bad, I woke up, I couldn't stop dry heaving. I couldn't stop shaking. And it hit me like a bolt of lightning that everything in my life centers around the fact that I drink alcohol. And that is probably the one thing I have to change to change my life. And I, and I can't tell you exactly how it all played out, but I happened to walk across the street to my cousin's house and she's got 10 years of sobriety. Now she had five then, and I sat down and that was the first time that I have heard had really gotten involved in a program. Um, a few years prior was my first taste of AA. So um, I was court ordered to do that pending a drug charge. And I was supposed to go for a year. I went for a month and then I just forged the signatures for the rest of the year. So I went to maybe like five or 10 meetings and then I just made them up the rest of the time. And 
going in there and talking with my cousin when I finally did, everything kind of came flooding back for me. And I was like, man, maybe there's a way out. Maybe there's hope, you know? And then like a couple of days later is when I walked into my first meeting and I saw that second step on the wall and I got butterflies, you know, because I felt like I was insane, but that hope hit, you know, that hope, that way out, it might be there. So when, when, you know, like, uh, I need to ask you, you know, like, mm-hmm. do you remember the first few times where kind of the <clears throat> embryo of you wing, waking up, hangover, hungover, and kind of, you know, wondering, is that life? You know, like, is that, you know, like, yeah. you know what yeah, I'm I saying? Mean, it definitely, it, it gets, it gets sad like that, doesn't it? I mean, uh, thank God I haven't had a hangover in a long time, but it gets to a point where it's like, this is what it is. You know, for me, it was always, well, that's, that's the price I have to pay to, to try and drink my life away. And, and not, I wasn't thinking about drinking my life away. I was thinking like, that's just what it is. It's, it's the price of pay, playing, you know, I have to, I have to have a hangover. I have to have a DUI. I have to have drug charges. I have to have the cops arrest me every other night. I have to have all of these things. So that way I feel good about myself for about 10 minutes when I'm drunk, you know, that I get that relief that I'm looking for. But, you know, like what I mean by that is, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the, the first few times where, or the first time that you, you, you woke up from that fuck, you know, like that messed up feeling that, you know, yeah. like we all got, you know, like, the, you know, like your gut wanting mm-hmm. to just throw up and, you know, and kind of wondering if, you know, like it's gonna, I'll, you know, like that, that can't be, you know, like what, what, what everyone's life is like, you know, like, right. you know what I'm saying? You know, like there, there is that, that there is, I guess there, I didn't really get that for me because I had been drinking, you know, since I was in high school still. So for me, it, it, the, the whole existential, like, is this it in the world type of feeling? I guess that didn't really hit because I was dealing with a lot of things, PTSD, fear, like all of this other stuff was all jumbled up inside of me. So for me, the relief was always drinking. So when it came to thinking like when I'm deathly hung over, because that didn't really happen until I was like 26. I think that that's the magical number where you start having hangovers. Um, and it was like, man, I'd be, I'd be down for like two, three days, like just hating life. Like to me, that was just, that was what it was. It was just what I had to do. And then, you know, towards the end, it was getting to the point where I was like, man, I really, I really messed up this weekend and I don't want to do that again. And how quickly, like, you know, like I would be like, Oh, I'm never going to drink again, or I'm never going to drink this week or whatever. How quickly it would take for me to just, as soon as I felt okay to get back out there and do it again, you know? Um, so I guess I, I did have a little bit of that aspect where it was like, Oh man, I don't want to drink again because of my actions and stuff like that. But it was never bad enough. Um, where I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta, quit you know it never got bad enough until the end there where it was like holy cow i've absolutely run out of my justifications for my behavior the lies that i tell myself and the dishonesty that i i express to everyone around me to where it's like man i have to i have to change my life you know and bring me bring me to that moment uh dustin you know like do, do, do you have clear memory of when did it happen you know like the kind of the context and how it happened yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's pretty vivid. I hang on to that to today. You know, it was, I, I remember I woke up in, in the garage that I was living in and I, I stood up, I couldn't stop shaking. I couldn't, I couldn't get rid of this feeling like I was going to die. Just this impending doom. Um, I kept like 
dry heaving, like nothing was coming up because I hadn't eaten in like two weeks, you know, and it was just, I drank myself into to this, this place where I'm just, I'm just out of options basically is what it is. I don't have any money. Um, everything's gone. I'm scared to death. And I, and all, all I can tell you is that it's just like every dot connected in my head that, Hey, drinking is the thing. Drinking is, is what needs to change. You've never really tried to quit drinking ever in your life. And it has beat you to this point. It has beat you down and beat you down and beat you down and put you in this little corner where that's the only thing that you have left. You know, like you have to, um, you have to try something else because what you've been doing and how you've been trying to control your life just doesn't work. Was, you know, like was any flash of, you know, like your, your, you know, like your, your family coming up, you know, like, cause you said that, you know, like you already mm -hmm. had some of these, um, expression, you know, like told to you and, you know, right. um, do definitely. Um, that's, I mean, that's what made sense to me. It was like my cousin, literally lived across the street from the last place where I got sober out of. And that's not a coincidence, you know, like I knew that she was in the program. I knew that she had years of sobriety and I knew that that's where I had to go, you know, and that's, I just found myself walking over there and asking questions, you know, just in earnest. And it was almost zombie. Like it was like, I wasn't even in my body, you know? And, um, what, what was like the first, um, you know, like what was your action plan? I didn't have any, I, I really didn't. I, I, like I said, I'd lost my job. I lost everything. I, I couldn't even afford to get food and I just had no plan. You know, I just walked in there and when I walked in there, they're like, Hey, make 90 meetings, in 90 days. And the only thing I did, was two meetings a day after that. You know, I, I had to, uh, I had to really try. Which is pretty much like what, what sums up, the first step, you know, like for anyone that doesn't know, you know, like the first step mm -hmm. is to actually admit that you're powerless over that yeah. fucking sickness, you know? Right. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and, you know, like if that is, if, if you've gone through it through and through, you know, like they would tell you that you need to, you know, like cherish a doll that you would fucking do it, you know, like, you know, right, you know, right. No, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I remember yeah. going to therapy that, you know, like I, I just didn't know where I was going and what mm. I was attending. And it was in February and it gets cold here, you know, like really, really, really cold. And, and, um, I remember, um, unpacking my stuff and, and, um, someone said, um, yeah, we do, uh, like after dinner, uh, evening walks, um, mm. like around the block, um, do you mind, do you want to come? I was like, eh. Yeah, sure. Because right. I thought that must be part of the <laughs> therapy, which wasn't at all. Mm -hmm. It was just like, you know, like people wanted to take fresh air, but yeah. um, it was something like minus 30 that night. You know, like it wow. was, it was fucking, it was bad. Yeah. And I remember shivering badly And it was like, is that therapy? <laughs> what, yeah, yeah. what is going on? I'm gonna freeze to death here. Mm -hmm. And and uh, you know, like looking back, I would have done anything because everything yeah. I tried yet didn't work. Yeah, 
Nothing. You know, like, so, so everything I tried in terms of, you know, like, okay, um, brown, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to say stuff that people are going to relate to, but you know, like brown, brown alcohol doesn't fit me. I'm going to go right. with, you know, like the transparent one and, you know, like, um, light beer, you know, like, yeah, I need stronger stuff because I need to get quicker because my stomach gets sick. If you know, like I need to take too much liquid to get drunk and, you right. know, like all kinds of, you know, like ways to, um, work around the issue um that when it came down to my own bottom um it was whatever you propose i'm gonna try mm -hmm. you know like I, i remember you know like sitting next to my dad in his car crying and he, he actually said what actually saved my life which was don't you want to help yourself and i i i probably my, I would, I would consider my first step done right there on the spot. And I said, whatever it, whatever, you know, like, yeah. you, you know, like whatever it takes, you know, like, w what are you proposing? Yeah. And he said, well, you know, like we've looked into therapy centers and, you know, like, um, maybe, you know, like you should. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. You mm -hmm. know, like whatever, whatever, because, you know, like everything I tried yet, you know, like nothing has worked. Um, I'm going to stop a full week and I'm going to stop th two months and then, um, and then come back to, you know, like full throttle and, and, and just trying to drink back what I had not drank for the past two days, five weeks, you know, six weeks. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean like every option. And so it, 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 it always makes me smile when someone tells me, well, they told me to do 90 meetings, which they did to me too, you know, like yeah. do 90 well, meetings, 90 it's, days. It's I was like a recovery thing that that comes from the, uh, the industry, you know, of, uh, recovery centers, but it works, you know, and, and, but like, just like you, I was so desperate. Like it was the first time in my life. I didn't want to have the God conversation. Like, and I'm, and by that, I mean, I didn't want to argue you know, religion and all that stuff. Cause I love doing that when I was drunk in a bar, let me tell you why you're wrong and all that stuff. Like I was so beat up. I'm like, I'm ready to do anything. If it takes me needing to have a higher power, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because you know, like the, the, I, I had never attended a meeting before that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I didn't know what it was. The only thing I had was probably some movie, you know, like relate, you know, like movie, um, you know, like, uh, sighting. I mean, you know, like, like that, that, the, right. the, 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 the dog, dark. up in front of like the whole thing. Like oh, my name's, well, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And yeah. the dark somber, you know, like full of drunk, you know, <laughs> right. like, you, like you know, like place shitty place. Smoke everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Shitty place. Right. That, you know, everyone looked like they were fucking drunk actually. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Like they just come <laughs> off like a two month bender and they're just, yeah. You no. Know, and so, but, I mean, I honestly, was like, no one comes into AA on a winning streak. I mean, I surely wasn't on top of the world, but oh, you no, know, I <laughs> to go in there. But the important thing, what really helped me connect to was the people in there to see the smiling faces and people clap when I said, you know, this is my first meet. And like just all of that energy, that's what got me started. You know, that's what I, that's oh. I dig in. Oh, wow. That's interesting, Dustin. Like I was, uh, I, I think I'm more egoistic than that or, or more of a loner. I mean, I was just fighting me against me right. and still to this day, you know, like I'm, 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 I'm to be quite honest, I'm still 15 years plus in scared shitless of relapse. <laughs> 
scared shitless of relapse. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say that. be though. I mean, like, because I know that it's going to take it away from me if I do that. You know, I'm yeah. slowly getting to a place where it's like, nothing's going to take me down. I've walked through death sober. I've walked through losing friends, relationships. I've, I've become and grown into something that I never thought was possible. And, you know, the more that I strengthen what I do in, in just doing the small things, cause like I'm absolutely scared of relapse because you know what? I'm a fucking alcoholic and I'm either in, sorry for swearing. Sorry. I apologize for that. Um, I'm either in recovery or I'm in relapse and I, it's, it's one or the other for me, you know, cause, um, that's just how I've come to understand it. And, 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 to this day, you know, like the, there was some post-therapeutic um, bi-weekly meeting. And I remember saying that for as long as I live, pride and fear will fuel my recovery. And it's not, you know, like it, it's not a weakness. It's not something that I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm ashamed of. Right. Um, pride of the time that I've kept sober mm-hmm. and um, scared of relapsing. I love that. And, I love you know, like. And, and there's nothing wrong about that. You know, like, and I, you know, like I will defend those feelings forever because, you yeah. know, like if I, if I'm, because I've seen too many people not being scared of relapse yeah. and, and playing with life, um, you know, like just playing with actually playing with death, you know, like yeah. in, in not truly believing that, that, that next time could be the last time. And, and mm-hmm. God knows, you know, like God knows some we've never seen again and some we've seen again, but they were damaged. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I mean, like I, I, we've lost, we've had so many overdoses going on and, you know, you see people, they go out and they test the waters and a lot of them don't make it back in or they don't make it back in whole or, you know, it beats the snot out of them. Um, but you're right. Like you have to have a healthy fear, fear of it. That's why, you know, like finding a bottom sufficient to want recovery, finding a bottom that you can be like, okay, I'm done touching the hot stove. I need to change my life, you know? And it's just as simple as that. And thank God that I'm a low bottom drunk because if I hadn't drank away all my friends, family and everything around me, like, I don't know if I would have gotten sober. You know, I would don't know if I would have taken the the higher power question as easily as I had, you know, but I, I came to, came in because I had a chip on my shoulder, especially being, you know, raised Catholic and all that stuff. And, you know, I love Catholicism. It's beautiful and all that stuff. Um, but my personal experience was, you know, like having to figure out what makes sense for me. And, you know, I came to to realize that, you know, religion is for people who are scared of going to hell. Spirituality is for us that have been there. And since spiritually, spirituality is, is the crux of what it means for me to be, be sober and get sober and have that healthy respect like, that's what I have to do. You know, I have to do those simple things that are asked of me to continue to be able to enjoy my life into today, you know, and that doesn't mean that life's perfect. It's just like, I have tools and skills and abilities to, to meet the challenges as they arise. And, and to be quite frank, I mean, um, I found my power in, in, in rooms. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like, perfect. I mean, what, I love that. I love all the different acronyms for God, like group of drunks, you know, the room or gift of desperation, which is what I had, or, you know, good orderly direction or whatever that means and looks like to you. The beauty yeah. of, of all these programs is we can take it and we can run with it. Absolutely. And, and there was, um, you know, like it, there was a lot of debate, you know, like the, the, it was a 21 day therapy and you know, like a lot of, you know, like we talked a lot about this and, you know, like I came down to, just saying guys you know like the room the rooms we attend are full of people that we wouldn't have given five cents 
you know, like, you know, like trust with five cents of our money. And yet, you know, like by exchanging and talking to each other, we seem to be, you know, like we, we seem to be, to, to stay sober. Um, there was that and there was, you know, like birth of child. I don't, you know, like, I don't know, you know, like I, when, 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 when the birth of my kids, um, came to be, um, and that was way before I, 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 I went to therapy, but you know, like I remember saying, well, I didn't do that. You know, <laughs> that's not me. That's something else. I don't know what it is, but that's not me. You know, like, yeah. so, you know, like yeah, I, I pretty much, that's a type of spiritual experience, you know, having a child, what a beautiful thing. What a, <laughs> what a, what a, an, a thing that happens outside of ourselves, you know, because what I found is I was lost in selfishness. You know, yeah. it was everything around me and what they said and what they thought and what they did and all of these other things. But like to have a child and, you know, do that work. And I applaud you for a therapist too. Like I have one too. And it saved my life. Cause I've, I had a, I've had a rough year this last year in sobriety, but you know, like those spiritual experiences, those little God shots, those things that come and go, like, that's what keeps me fed. That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me, you know, saying yes. When I want to say no, when they, they ask me to do things, you know, like, sponsor or whatever, but you know, that's, and I shopped, you know, like I actually, that that's another thing that's important for people you know, like it's that I, I, I shopped around my, my, you know, like the people, um, mm -hmm. close to me. Right. You know, like I, I, you know, like I have, you know, like my sponsor is actually someone, um, that I, you know, like that I spoke to, mm -hmm. um, and, and chose, uh, wisely, you know, right. like that, that, you know, like I wanted to have, um, someone that could challenge me, that I could challenge myself, that could challenge the, lit the literature that I was going through, yeah. that I could challenge, you know, like all of that, um, that was quite important for me. Mm -hmm. um, well, and so, I mean, it's a big, it's a big connection. Um, I wasn't as savvy. I suppose we just let God do that for me. But like I went in and there was a guy that I just connected with and, you know, they say, oh, find someone that has what you want. And, uh, you know, I, he had what I wanted, which was a driver's license and, you know, his bills paid. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I was like, I'll take you and let's do this, you know? And um, if you ask him to this day too, he'll, he'll tell you, I drove, I drug him through the steps because I was so ready. I was craving a change in life. I knew the way that I was living, like was, was wrong. Like, and if this, if this is the answer, like, that's what I want to do, you know? But I just kind of, I just kind of let go, I guess, with reckless abandon and be like, here's all of my stuff. What do I do? How do I do this? You know, show me, show me the way. And he did. And it was, it was such a beautiful experience, you know? Um, the last question I, I, I'll ask you is, you know, like, what is the, what's your life now? You know, like, how do you, um, yeah. How's your life now? Uh, man, I'm, I, I can tell you, honestly, I'm beyond blessed and, and things happen. Right. So like I said, like last year I had started to take on my PTSD and anxiety from, you know, uh, my military service and all that stuff. I really started to take it on head on because it was, it was starting to show up. What I think happened is when I went over there, like my soul left my body, you know? So when I came back home, it was really easy for me to drink and, 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 tear away any shred of moral decency or anything that I had through using and all of that stuff. 
And as I've gotten sober, you know, and I hit that five-year mark, there's something about that five-year mark. I don't know. They say that's when you get your marbles back, but I think that was that, was that a, uh, like a defense mechanism you think? I, for, I, for- I 100% do. I think it was a way for me to be able to get through all of that and then come back full circle, you know? Yeah. Um, and for me to get that back and to start to do better, it's, I have to, you know, work on myself and continue to work on myself, which I love nowadays. Um, so as my soul is coming back into my body and I'm working with my therapist, and I'm gaining these deeper understandings of myself. And at the same time, as I find these understandings, I find love, you know, I know in, in recovery, when, when things, when bad things happen, that means good things are on the other side. So like whenever, anytime anything happens in my life, like it's going to suck and it's going to suck for a little while, but it passes. You know, we always say it comes to pass, but like going through it was, was probably one of the hardest things that I've had to go through, but I got on the other side, you know, and today I'm, I'm so blessed. I mean, you know, you know how to, you started your own thing. I started my own thing when I got sober, I said, I'm never going to be a bartender again. So I, I laid on my bed and I taught myself graphic design, website uh, design and development. I taught myself how to do marketing and social media. And I got these killer jobs. My first job after one year of sobriety was working for a local winery, believe it or not. And I spent two years on the road selling wine. I didn't have any issues with alcohol. I had, like it says, you know, like we recoil from it as if it were a hot flame. Like I didn't have any issues doing it. And I noticed as I was going out there, I was talking to a lot of people about them wanting to get in recovery or them having a bad time with alcohol. So it was kind of funny how that all played out, but it was a life-changing job that gave me invaluable skills. So today I own my own company and we've been doing great for the last three years. It's been absolutely amazing. And, you know, I've, I've been able to live a life that I've, I've never dreamed was possible ever. You know, I, I, I live in a beautiful home. I've got the best friends. I I don't worry about money. I don't worry about you know, um, bills getting paid or, you know, I'm, I'm accountable for my actions. I can tell people and speak my truth without having to worry about shame or how they think about it, or, you know, their, their feelings about it. My family and our, our relationships are stronger. Um, you know, yesterday I just bought a bunch of property up North. I'm going to make a little ranch for myself. I mean, like, these are things that were not happening when I was still drinking and using, I was walking places. I was riding the bus. I was, making people angry and they didn't want to hang out with me or they'd, you know, try and finagle like, Oh, we need to go out, but let's not invite him, you know, because I was just the, I was the the low down dirty drunk. That's, that's all I wanted to do. But I think more importantly than anything else is I found love for myself and I found compassion. I found the opportunity and ability to grow and, and use the tools that I've been given to, to live life because I didn't get sober to, to be miserable or to go to meetings all the time or to do whatever. I got sober to live life, be happy and free. And I get to give back, you know, last two weekends ago, we had a, a roundup and it's probably the only in-person roundup that happened in Arizona. And it was so needed during this time that I think we had around 400 people show up from all over. We flew in speakers from Florida and California and they nailed it. They knocked it out of the park. Um, you want to talk about an emotional weekend. It's, it's, a, it's people in recovery in this program during a time of crisis, hanging out, just trying to get by, just trying to hang on for one more day and, and, and do this thing. And for me to be able to give back in ways like that on these committees or with my sponsees or, you know, in any way, shape or form I can, I do it because I, I only have a life today because of this program. And, you know, I don't, like my friend Donna says, I, I, I don't fit, um, a into my life. I fit 
my life into AA because that's how important it is. After my sobriety, everything else comes. Family, friends, work, job, whatever. None of that matters. None of that will be, it would exist if I didn't have my sobriety, you know, and, and I'm grateful for it. And I, and that's I got precisely to it. People, so that's precisely it. You know, like that, you know, like everything you just said, you know, like everything in terms of, you know, like even the planning and, you know, like the stuff that's coming up in your life, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like you could have ever, never imagined it. Mm-hmm. Um, being fucked face, you know, right. <laughs> you know, like, again, you know, like right. my swearing is bad, but you know, like I, I, I'm, I tend to get passionate about this and passionate yeah. about the, the old, the old, all of my recordings. Yeah. Well, uh, me, me too. I mean, and, and it's such a big deal that you do this and, and keep doing what you do because, you know, if it saves one life, it's more than worth it. And, and that's how oh. I see things, you know? And, you know, like I, I have, I have, you know, like I, I try to send us positive vibes into, um, people that, you know, like just don't know about this, you know, like, and yeah. don't know that, um, you know, like 112 episodes in, you know, like, yeah. you, you know, like you come to realize that, you know, like you can come from all aspects of life and you can come from all kinds of bottoms, um, of barrels and, yeah. and, and, and jump up and, and just, you know, like pretty much like rise back like a Phoenix and, and, yeah. and, do stuff that you would have never imagined uh, when you're in your darkest darkest days, you know. Like, and and Absolutely. for me, you know, like it's it's um, yeah. I mean, like it's not only a message of hope, but it, you know, like it's pretty much an, a message of enlightenment. You know, mm-hmm. like and people realizing that wherever you are in your life right now, you know, like in in your most dark darker moments, you know, like um, just hang on, you know, like yeah. and, and you know, like find a way to talk to someone else and mm-hmm. and 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 share you know, like how you're feeling and, and, um, there is hope, you know, like, yeah. and th- th- there are stuff that you can't even imagine that's going to happen to you when you're going to en- take, you know, like en- take more control over, you know, like that sickness that is the alcoholism and, and, or, or, or addiction. Yeah. Um, and I, last I agree th- with you. I mean, if, if anything, it's, it's, there's hope it's not over, you know? And like, yeah your podcast like it's a it's a beacon of light that hopefully leads down that dark hallway to to freedom or whatever but like you know the biggest thing i think we can ever share is hope there's there's a lot of hope in in you know it there is dark but there's always a way out so i you know totally agree with you there alex yeah and you know like for those that you know like are still you know like kind of juggling with the idea i mean like it it definitely can get darker mm-hmm. but i can assure you that it can get much more lighter and you know like much more bright and much more positive and 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 sunnier you right. know so right. um you know, for me it's just um yeah I mean, you know like it, this is probably like the the this, that the journey of that podcast for me has been um not only such an humbling humbling experience i mean like uh people from all over uh, you know like Today, I, I realized that, you know, like my agenda was pretty much um, had, you know, like was was emptied of, you know, like scheduled recording. And uh, I started sending a few invites and the response was so positive. I was yeah. like, holy shit, you know, like I don't know these people. And, you know, like they just <laughs> they just say yes. And I'm yeah. like, wow, you know, like I was I was not I was touched, humbled and, you know, like kind of, you know, like um, it, it was anyways, you know, like it, it, it makes it's it's flattering and 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 
just it made me so happy today but you know like uh yeah. and and you're part of that you know like you've accepted yeah. like right off the bat you said hey i'm in and yeah. i was like holy shit you know like i don't know you know <laughs> <laughs> right and you but that's what i mean that's that's what we we do i suppose we say yes and we try and give back because there there could be something that that, that you say that someone latches on to that can absolutely change their life because at one point that was what it was for us, you know, like with your yeah. dad and like, you know, me with, with figuring out that, you know, that second step, like I'm, I'm not insane, you know, it's, it could be anything that just absolutely changes your life. So, you know, for me, for my end and my program, like, hell yeah, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, hopefully someone hears it and change their life. If not, I met a great friend in the program. So that's fantastic. You know, like, and, and same for me. Um, the last thing is, you know, like, Uh, I found you on social media. Um, mm -hmm. Is this something that you share to others? You know, like, is this something that and I haven't asked you before we started recording, but you know, like, are you, are you, um, are you promoting, um, like, you know, do you have like a social media presence that, you know, like kind of share, you know, like the positive vibes that, you know, like, you know, like that, that, that comes out of you and, you know, like kind of, um, do you have that? Is there a way for people to reach out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. Uh, You know, I think it's important that, you know, as I've, as I've grown up and gotten more sober, like that I share inspiration and in, in things that have accomplished and have happened in my life just by, by doing this, these simple things, like, um, you know, people can always reach out to me. Uh, you know, my, my last name is Caressel, it's spelled C-O-R-E-S-S-E-L. Generally you can find me on all social media because it's such a random name, but you know, on Instagram, you can find me there and You know, I, I always welcome anybody to reach out because, you know, it, it just happens to be like, what I do is, is just give back to people when, whenever I can, you know? So like when you reached out, I, I caught it. I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do it. You know? So, you know, if you're ever struggling, reach out, drop a friend request DM, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You can find Dustin Russell pretty much on any platform um, because my business does do social media. So I'm kind of everywhere. But, you know, awesome. I'm always happy for, to have a talk, to, to try and inspire. And so for the listeners, um, it, all of the links and all of the ways for finding Dustin are going to be found in the description of the episodes of the episode. And, um, so, you know, like no worries, you know, like you just yeah. scroll down, you're going to find him. And, um, again, I want to thank you for participation. Um, Dustin, it was, it was a pleasure meeting with you and getting to you, know you. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, like for me, it's just, um, I'm having a freaking blast, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's about, man. That's why we get sober. And Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you and uh, awesome. thanks for the invite. I'm, I'm glad to, to be on here and be a part of. Thank you, Dustin. Have a good night. Take care. Bye.